You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, here's what it says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 6, For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. The government will be on His shoulders and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace, There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The passion, the zeal, the commitment of the Lord Almighty will accompany, accomplish this. And over the Ukraine and Russia, Israel and Gaza, we speak these words. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. We are in part two of our Christmas season. We're talking about stepping into Christmas, stepping into Christmas. And we're gonna focus a little bit of our attention today on Advent and thinking about Advent and thinking about what Advent is all about. We'll start off with a question and I wonder if you've ever found yourself travelling in the wrong direction. Travelling in the wrong direction. I'm old enough to remember those things called the A to Z. Anybody remember A to Z? Now listen, if you are of a certain age and you're like, Glenn, what on earth are you talking about? An A to Z was a map. Now let me define a map. For those of you who don't know what a map is, if you don't know what a map is, go to an encyclopedia. No, 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 uh, you don't know what an encyclopedia is. Just ask Google. Ask somebody over 40 what an encyclopedia is and they'll tell you what a map is as well. Back, I'm old enough to remember the A to Z. The A to Z, for those of you who don't know, was literally a map and you would have to follow where you're going with your finger to get from A to Z or Z. A to Z. And, uh, and here's the thing, right? Now, I've got to be honest, there are two things that I think have saved marriages all over the world. And I'm so thankful for these two inventions. The first invention that I believe has saved marriages is dual climate control in cars. I am so thankful to God for that invention. Why? Because my wife is always cold And I'm always really warm, especially like two o'clock in the morning when her ice cold feet touch my legs in bed. That's, you know, I'm I'm up wide awake. But I've got to tell you, the amount of times we have been driving in a car before the dual climate control kind of equation and my wife would turn the heating up, I'd turn it down, up, down, up, down. She wants to basically sit in the car like it's the face of the sun or the pit of hell. It's so hot and I want it cold on my side. But when dual climate control came out, what a gift and a blessing from God that was. 
It certainly saved arguments in my marriage as we argued over the heating and the temperature in the car. I think the other thing that's really rescued my marriage is the invention of the GPS, the satellite navigation system. Because the A to Z, for those of you who remember it, you know, often it would be my wife who would have the map. When it was reversed, I gotta tell you, I always got it right. I can say this because my wife's in South location this morning. But when I'd be driving, she would be following along on the map with her finger and say, we have to turn right here. Let me do it side on so you know what I'm going. Hey Glenn, we gotta turn right here. What babe, you mean five miles back there? And you find yourself then on a ring road going the long way around or trying to navigate your way through traffic, whatever, because you didn't turn at the right time. You ever found yourself going in the wrong direction? You kind of got a vague idea on where you wanna go, but you realise you're going the wrong way to get there. I'm not really now talking about cars and, and travel in the natural, I'm talking about in life. You ever found yourself in a situation where you're going the wrong direction? Maybe it's a case of waking up, uh, you're into your 30s and 40s and you wake up, uh, I think it's called midlife crisis, but you wake up thinking, what's my legacy? What, what am I leaving behind? What am I actually doing with my life? The reality is this, is that in your life, maybe you're going down a path of unforgiveness or resentment or disappointment or anger or even down a, an avenue of, of pride and you find yourself from time to time thinking, am I on the wrong path? That's really what's taking place in this passage in Isaiah chapter nine today, because what Isaiah says is this, is he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In other words, what Isaiah is saying, and he's saying these words 2,700 years ago. He's saying that it's possible for you to recognise you are going down the wrong path. He says, walking in darkness, but now a light has come to reveal a different pathway that you can go on in life. I think one of our difficulties in society today is this, is that in many senses, the lines are blurred between truth and non-truth. What's true, what's not true. One of our challenges, especially in a society that celebrates everything that's going on in many senses, that the, the tragedy is this, is that even if a thousand people say something foolish, it's still foolish. Because truth is not dependent upon consensus. So what do we do when we find ourselves walking down a path in life and we're kind of thinking to ourselves, I know where I'm going, but I'm on the wrong path. That's what this is about. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what the season known as Advent is all about. Advent, it means three things. Firstly, it means arrival. Secondly, it means presence. And thirdly, it means coming or on the way. So here's what happens in Isaiah chapter nine. In Isaiah nine, the prophet Isaiah says, hey everybody, you're walking in darkness, you're going the wrong way, but a light is coming. Something is about to happen to show you a different way. And then the Bible tells us that 700 years later, 
the light arrived. This message today is simply called this, Step into the Light. I wanna share with you just a few quick thoughts. The first thought is this, is that when it comes to God and God's plans and promises for your life, you can trust God's timing. Think about this. Isaiah says, light is coming. And then there is a 700 year wait. There's a 700 year wait. And within that 700 years, there's 400 years of what we know as the silent years. In other words, for 300 of the 700 years, we know stuff that's going on, but for 400 years, we know nothing. But then 700 years after Isaiah says the light is coming, we read this in Matthew chapter four, the Gospel of Matthew, it says this, to fulfil what was said through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter nine, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Now, one of the reasons why the geographical data is put in those verses is in order to establish an accuracy and an authenticity of the words that are being written. So we can actually take the words, we can put it into a geographical time and place. So what is happening in Matthew chapter four is this, is saying this, the birth of Jesus Christ is the fulfilment of that which has prophesied 700 years earlier. God prophesied that a new light and a new way is coming. 700 years. And you thought you had to wait for things. You know what I'm talking about? We live in a day, don't we, where everything is so quick. We're so busy going somewhere and sometimes we don't even know where, but we're busy doing what we're doing. You know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when we have to wait until next week for the next episode in the series. But not anymore. It's nine o'clock at night. Just one more episode. It's 10 o'clock at night. Just one more episode. Come on, you've done it. It's four o'clock in the morning. Just one more episode until finally you drag yourself to bed and wake up two hours later to go to work because everything is so, so quick. We're so impatient for the next thing to happen. We're filling our lives with so much busyness because we're living with everything instantaneously at our touch. We don't like waiting. Like when you're travelling with your friend, you're going from A to Z, Z. You're going wherever you're going and your friend says, I'm hungry. So you pull into the McDonald's drive-through. We hate waiting, don't we? You order your Big Mac, your, your fries or whatever, your milkshake. And you say to your friend, what do you want? And your friend to your horror says, I'll have a fillet of fish. Now, two things. Number one, who actually ever orders fillet of fish? Show me your hands. In a room of nearly a thousand people, I see one, I see two hands, three, four hands. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, please look at those hands. Don't ever go on a car journey with them because nobody has ever ordered a fillet of fish since 1956. Especially in Manchester, you know, you order a fillet of fish and the McDonald's drive through. Firstly, the McDonald's staff faint 
because nobody's ordered one for 50 years, 70 years. And then second to that, they've got to go to the River Irwell to actually catch a fish, to fry the fish. Meanwhile, you are in the waiting area and we hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting. We, we, it's almost like we weren't designed to wait. We get so impatient when we have to wait. Whether it be lining up for things, whatever, the impatience begins to kick in. I don't take as many weddings in our church now as I used to. The team do a much better job at that than me. But I gotta tell you, in the early days of our church, there was one wedding that I was taking where the bride made us wait. Forget us, forget them, forget the groom. The bride made me wait an hour and 40 minutes. An hour and 40 minutes. Now, I don't know what your culture is, but let me just tell you this. An hour and 40 minutes. I wasn't even invited to the reception. She made me wait an hour and 40 minutes. I swear when I get to heaven, God is gonna say to me, Glenn, what did you do, my son, with the time that I gave you? And I'll say, an hour and 40 minutes. Now, usually when I'm taking a wedding, when, when, the, when the bride arrives, I'll go and meet in the foyer and I'll pray with her and pray with the people around her. This day I was so annoyed because she made me wait an hour and 40 minutes of my life that I will never ever get back. They went on honeymoon, I avoided her for months. In church on a Sunday, I'd see her walking towards me, I'd walk the other way because I had an attitude problem because she made us wait an hour. What's heartbreaking about it even more than that is sadly eight years later, husband and wife got a divorce, which was sad for many occasions, for many reasons. And I, I certainly don't wanna make light of that horrible moment. But when I heard the news, I was reminded, an hour <laughs> and 40 minutes that I will never, ever get back. Don't you hate waiting? Come on, don't you hate waiting? To wait is a horrible thing, especially when you've got the promise of something that is actually coming your way, something that's on, on the way. But you gotta know something about God and the promises of God. And that is simply this, that God's promises have no use by date. If you were waiting 700 years, I mean, you were people group. If you were waiting 700 years, what do you do in that time? Especially if you see a generation come and a generation go. One of the things that I'm really aware of for our church is that many promises God has spoken over our church, I won't see in my lifetime. Because God's promises are not just for a generation, but for the children's, 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 children. And you know, if ever you've been to a cemetery, I'm sure you have, and you look at the gravestone and you see, you see, born 1923, dash, died 1992. Life is all about the dash. Life is all about 
what we do as Christian people now in the midst of waiting for the promises. That's why our prayer walls are so powerful. We have our prayer requests and our praise reports. And we've filled these walls up dozens and dozens and dozens of times and had different iterations, more and less walls, but literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of blue ones, prayer requests. God, will you? God, can you? God, I need you. God, I'm asking for you to intervene. God, I need you to do what only you can do. God, I I feel desperate. I feel like there's no hope. I feel like Isaiah says everything is darkness. I I can't see a way through in my marriage, in my career and and my business and my investments and and I'm struggling. God, God, I need you. I need you. God, will you do what only you can do? But I'm so thankful that even though there's a lot of blue ones, There's a heck of a lot of pink ones. And I tell you what, it's so amazing to read the pink ones. It's so amazing to hear the praise reports of people saying, you know what, in the midst of a marriage breakdown, God, I thought it was over, but but you promised and I'm so thankful that it's better than ever before. I'm so amazed with the amount of people who say, I was sick, I was dying with cancer. People were talking about all sorts of things, but God came through. Friend, listen, when God makes a promise, you can trust His timing. And it may not happen when you want it to happen. But if God said it, God will do it. Here's what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23. It says, God is not human that He should lie. He's not a human being that He should change His mind. Does God speak and then not act? Rhetorical question. In other words, it doesn't need an answer. Does He promise and not fulfil? So here's the brilliant thing about Advent, this idea that, that, that arrival, presence, coming on the way, every time you open up your Christmas calendar or your kids do, what it's doing is this, is open, actually opening the door, say, it's another door. The arrival is coming. We know, don't we? We know that from December the 1st, December the 25th is coming. When we wake up all excited to do life together as a family, that's Advent. And that just doesn't happen in December, That happens from the moment God gives you a promise. I'm gonna pause. I wanna pray over the promises of God for your life. If you are carrying a promise for your life right now, I want you to quickly stand to your feet across this place. Stand to your feet. We're gonna pray. Pray over your business, gonna pray over your family, your finances, your health, whatever it is. You're carrying a promise from God. You know God's given you a promise. Lift your hands to heaven if you're standing. We're doing it just like children receiving a gift from a father, from a mother, from a loved one. Lord, here we are with our hands lifted before You. And we are so thankful that Christmas, that Advent reminds us that the promises of God, they are yes and amen. And that Your promises do not have a use by date. So Father, we are here in this moment, not to remind You of Your promises to us because You've not forgotten, but we're standing with hands lifted to remind ourselves of Your faithfulness. God, You are faithful. And in the same way You prophesied that the Son would come from heaven to earth to be born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Thank You that You fulfilled that. And I thank You that You will fulfil Your promises for every person's life. Now just where you're standing, just for a moment. And maybe just where you're sitting, you're kind of finding yourself in darkness, you're finding yourself in a a challenging moment and you need a Word from God. 
Holy Spirit, I pray even right now, just in our mind, in the quietness of this moment, into our spirit, would you drop a word, a promise? In Jesus' Name, Amen. Come on, let's thank God for all the praise reports that are on their way as a result of that moment. You can take a seat across this place. The second thing I just wanna remind you of from Isaiah chapter nine in this moment is this, is not only can we trust His timing on things, but secondly, we can experience His life. We can experience life and life in Jesus and through Jesus, we can experience the life of God. John chapter eight, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, the thief, that's the devil, he comes only to steal, kill and destroy. So anything in your life, friends, that's been destructive, that you feel you've been robbed of, destruction has kicked in, it's not an act of God, because Jesus is very clear, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter eight. He says, I am the light of the world. And two chapters later, He says, I am the life of the world. Because light brings life. First thing God did when He created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one, two and three, He created the light, let there be light because life needs light in order for life to exist. The first thing God did is He created the S-U-N, the Son, and then later He sent His S-O-N, His Son, so that we not, might not just experience light, but we could also experience life. Because light and life go hand in hand. A few years ago, we were in America as a family, we were in California, and we went to a place called South Lake Tahoe. And it was nighttime. And Jaden and I, we, we, we'd parked up our rental, our, our, our car that we'd rented, and, and we were looking for something. We couldn't find it. And we were down this kind of this dark road up in this, in this beautiful town. And, and we decided, having not found what we needed to find, we were gonna go back to the car. And as we were walking back to the car, which was about where that train is now, Jaden was kind of doing the millennial walk, you know, head down on his phone. But I was walking, looking, and I says, Jaden, look, a bear. And just over there, there was a fully grown bear on all fours that was higher, taller than my head, walking across the road with its cubs. Now, listen, I, I grew up in Australia, so I know how to, you know, wrestle crocodiles, done that, you know, ride a crocodile to school, you know, you know, chase snakes through the grass and things. I, that, that, that's easy, you know, cockroaches the size of, of little elephants. You know, I'm used to that. But what do you do with a bear, especially when it's got cubs? And I'm like, Jaden, look, a bear. And my son said, oh, shut up, Dad. Now, two things. Firstly, clipped him around the back of the head, show some respect to your father, son. But then when he looked where he was pointing, he said, oh, Dad. 
and we stopped and froze and I had instant fear. You know, lots of things went through my mind. One of them being, I don't have to outrun the bear, just got to outrun my son. I thought, no, I need to step into protection mode. My, there was this huge fence, right? And another story, this fence was huge, right? It was about seven foot like this, it was huge. My son managed to jump up onto the fence and pull himself up. I just jumped on the fence, hit it and fell down. So thanks, thanks for your help, son. But here's the thing, right? Is, is, is I, I declared that there was a bear, but it wasn't until he looked where I was pointing that the revelation hit him. C.S. Lewis the author of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, in his essay called Meditation in a Toolshed. Here's what he said. I was standing today in the dark toolshed. The sun was shining outside and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it, it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, I saw green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside and beyond that, 90 odd million miles away, the sun. Looking at the beam, looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. You see, When it comes to the Christian message, when it comes to church, when it comes to your Christian friend, when it comes to religion, it's one thing to look at them and us, but another thing entirely to look at where we're pointing. You see, if you just look at us, if you just look at the building, you look at the church, you look at Christians, then what you're gonna do is is you're gonna find the flaws. Of course you are. You're gonna find the failings. You're gonna find humanity at its best and sadly, sometimes at its worst. But if you take a moment this Christmas to look along the beam, to actually look at where we're pointing and you see Jesus, that changes everything. Because when you see Jesus, life and light fall into context. And you begin to realise that my now is not just about now, this is a dress rehearsal for what is to come. That there's life beyond this life. That there's, that there's, there's eternal life that the Bible speaks about. And I know for me, certainly growing up as a teenager, I was looking at the light, I was looking at the church, I was looking at the beam, I was looking at Christians. And for me, some of it was problematic, but when I looked at where everyone was pointing, changed my life. You get a chance this Christmas again to experience His life. And as the musos come and join me, my third thing is this, is we can this Christmas season, this Advent, stepping into the light, we can be confident in His reign. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 9, of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know what strikes me about this idea is the truth that everything comes to an end. Everything comes to an end. Everything has its season. Relationships come to an end. Marriages come to an end. All marriages will come to an end because one day we'll die. Churches come to an end. Local churches, pastors, preachers, worship leaders, friends, everything comes to an end. And that would be a really, really sad thing if it is true that everything came to an end. But it's not quite true because there's one thing that will never come to an end. My favourite TV show of all time is West Wing. American political drama. It's amazing because I spend half the time confused. You know, and uh, when you watch, you know, even real TV of, you know, Trump and Biden and Obama, if that's not confusing, then watching West Wing is even more confusing. And half the time I've got to pause and rewind and go, what on earth is going on there? The script writing, cinematography, it, it's just brilliant. It's 10 seasons. And I've watched it all through at least twice. I've watched many other episodes, you know, multiple times over. But one thing you gotta know, and this is slightly how I'm wired, I'm a bit weird like this, is I've watched it all apart from the last episode of the last season. Because I don't want it to come to an end. And so I figure if I haven't watched the last episode, it's not come to an end. And so I can go back to the season one, episode one and watch it all through again, but not watch the last episode. I was uh, on the lead up to our Brotherhood Men's Conference in October. I was in a taxi and I'd said to the taxi driver, oh, where are you from? I heard his accent. I said, where are you from? And somebody said to me once, oh, you shouldn't ask people where they're from if you hear an accent. It's offensive. I'm like, why? People ask me where I'm from all the time. So I asked the taxi driver, where are you from? He said, oh, you won't know it. I said, why? I said, I've travelled the world a fair bit and I know the global map. He goes, no, no, you won't know it because my country doesn't exist anymore. Oh my gosh. I began to think, how many countries don't exist anymore? And then I did some research. Turns out that since records began, 1,114 countries and kingdoms have started and come to an end and don't exist anymore. Everything comes to an end, but one thing never will come to an end. And that is the reign of Jesus Christ. And friends, listen, we can argue with that as much as we want. We can bring an atheistic, secular worldview into that. We can bring all our cultural Marxism into that. And, and, and we, can, we, we can do whatever we want with, with our academic study and research, but this is where it always requires faith. I looked along the beam and I saw Jesus and I had a faith explosion in my life that I knew that I knew, that I knew that Jesus Christ was real. Isaiah says to us, he says to our nation, he says to our friends and our family, if you are walking in darkness, if you are walking the wrong way, stop and step into the light. 
Because here's what I want you to know, personally speaking, for you personally, anything that's in the dark has control over you. But the moment you bring it into the light, through accountability with your spouse, your closest friend, a small group leader, a pastor, whatever, it is amazing how when the God of light brings His life into your darkness, hope comes from brokenness. And that's why we celebrate. For unto us, a child is given. For to us, a son is born. The government will be upon His shoulders. He will be called, what sort of God? A wonderful God, a mighty God, a great Counsellor, the Prince of Peace. And on His government, there shall be no end ever. And listen, the sad thing in life is this, the sad thing in life is that we'll all die once. That's sad. If you know Jesus, it's not sad for you personally, but it's sad for the rest of us because we want you to hang around a bit longer. You know what I'm talking about? But here's the thing. We all die once, yes, but God gives us all the opportunity to be born twice. And that second birth is the moment that we stop looking at the light, looking at the church, looking at the Christians, and we actually look at where we're pointing and we discover Jesus. And Jesus says these words in John chapter three, a rich man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And so today it's a recognition this Christmas yeah, we'll die once. And we won't talk about that next week. Next week's all Christmassy and all happy. We'll die once. But today, we get a chance to be born twice. And that is getting to know Jesus Himself. For 2,000 years ago, God stepped out of heaven and He came to earth so that you can experience life in Him. Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.